Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with your WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again for a full week of your boys, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Vanini covering the world of wrestling. This, of course, is our Tuesday WWE show. On Thursday, we will talk AEW and NXT, but we have a lot to get to today and this week and through the remainder of the month as we do have some special shows coming up for you before the end of 2021. Stay tuned for more information on that. We got to get right into today's show. Both Chris and I have limited schedules today, and there is, like I said, plenty to talk about in the world of WWE. So let's do this. Let me remind you right off the top of the show that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please, folks. By the way, I always think it when he pauses Finn Balor there, it's like really funny that someone goes, oh, I don't know if you ever heard that in a sound. <laughs> anyway, uh, the whole point of me uh, dropping those sounds is to remind you to please head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, write a review, let people know how much you love this show. Those five-star ratings and reviews matter. Uh, they bump us up in ratings. They get more people to listen to the show. And that's what we're about having more people listen to the show. I also want to uh, give a shout out to Eric Prey, uh, who wrote Great Wrestling Show, five stars, followed from previous podcasts, awesome show, great weekly wrestling perspective, and a really fun show. So thank you so much for writing that. Please also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are well beyond the 1,000 follower mark now. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for following us. Uh, we tweet... During the wrestling shows each week, we post polls, do live Twitter spaces audio for free that you guys can join ahead of pay-per-views and just kind of talk about wrestling all week long, sharing opinions, thoughts, and video clips. So please, please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, uh, welcome to the show. Um, look, this week in WWE, I got to tell you, uh, rough week, and I had to juxtapose it a little bit with a TV show that I saw Sunday night. I know you saw it as well. The season finale of Succession cool. on HBO. And I got I, the reason I am able to juxtapose it on today's show and discuss it this way is I got so much enjoyment and entertainment value out of that like hour and 10, 20 minutes, however long the episode was of television. I looked at the, the quality of writing, the true entertainment value of that episode. And I'm not going to do any spoilers. So you guys don't need to fast forward. And Chris, please don't do any spoilers either. Um, but I watched that and I'm not expecting wrestling to be Shakespearean in any way. I'm really not. But the competence level of that show compared to in many ways, the incompetence level of WWE writing, storytelling and booking. It's just so drastic. It's it's such night and day where at least back in the day, and maybe it's because back in the 90s and the early 2000s, TV wasn't as good top to bottom. And wrestling was certainly better than it is now in terms of the, all those things I'm talking about. But I just saw such a divergence um, between those two things. And I kind of sat back this week while I was watching WWE. And I said to myself, 
how can this not be better than it is? Like, it doesn't have to be Shakespearean. It doesn't have to be Emmy Award winning writing and booking and storytelling. But there is so much dumb shit that happens on WWE TV this week that I was watching Raw and I was just getting more frustrated as the show went on Monday night. And we've been praising Raw here over the last couple of weeks, at least has been being better than SmackDown. WWE, it goes through periods where it's really, really bad. It's usually in their quote unquote off season, but they're gearing up for a huge pay-per-view, which is going to be ahead of another pay-per-view, a huge one, the Royal Rumble in the same month. And then just three months removed from WrestleMania, their biggest show of the year. And I'm looking at this product and I'm like, they don't seem to know where they're going. And worse than that, they don't seem to know why they're going in whatever direction they're going, other than the very, very clear Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar storyline. Yeah, if you only watch wrestling, you sometimes get kind of so sucked in, you kind of forget what normal television storytelling is like. And then you watch a really good TV show and you're like, oh, this this is this is what TV is supposed to be like. This is, you know, little references here and there that come back later on, you know, character development, all these kinds of things. And you realize that there is none of that in pro wrestling right now. And say what you will about a lot of the issues uh, of the late 90s, early 2000s wrestling, but they generally told competent stories and you know succession is a show that it's not really about the plot you know week to week it's really about the characters right the dialogue and if wwe is supposed to be about the characters it does a terrible job of writing and creating these characters i've said this a lot of times they think they're doing marvel they're not doing marvel um there's no real connection to a lot of these people and so yeah, well, that's, it that's was a great a, point. It was a bad, it was a bad week of, of SmackDown and Raw put together, for sure. That's a great point. Think about how well-developed, and, and I am no Hawkeye fan, but think about how well-developed Hawkeye is as a character, especially now that he has this solo series on Disney+. And again, we don't need to get into the details, but you know motivations, you know successes and failures, you know, you have an understanding of who this guy is and why he's doing what he's doing. When you look at WWE and you just look at, Raw on Monday night, and we'll get into it in more detail momentarily. The whole show was centered around Bobby Lashley wanting revenge. And he comes out and he's like, I've been disrespected by all of you. And the very next thing that happens to open the show is Kevin Owens walking out and saying, what are you talking about? We haven't even mentioned your name. I haven't said shit about you. And then he's like, well, that's the point. His name should be mentioned at all times. No, it shouldn't. The guy lost the title. And then he got an opportunity to ensure that, hey, you know, I got screwed because the money in the bank was cashed in. So he got a steel cage match against Biggie. And then he lost again. So why is this dude back in the title picture? And why are you forcing a fatal four-way match when you didn't at all need a triple threat match? All you needed was a singles match because guess what? That first guy, he won a number one contendership. Therefore, he deserves a match. You had a, you had a very concise very simple story if you wanted and they wanted to stretch it out they could have done uh you know play in matches to get to that fatal four way ladder match where Rollins would ultimately win the contract instead they made him win a contract and then they made the contract worthless and you have a champion who you know fans have wanted to see get to that mountaintop 
He's the, you know, he's not, I, this is a horrible comparison. He's the Tom, you know, in, t- in succession terms for those who watch the show. You want to see this guy get, succeed and, and get there, but we have no reason to buy into Biggie other than the fact that we used to love him as part of the New Day and we know that he's deserving, but that's all non-kayfabe. I like Biggie as a person. That I That's why I want him to be WWE champion because he works hard. He's really good in the ring. But in terms of earning it and deserving it, even during his one year in a solo run, he just wrestled the same dude 15 times in Apollo Crews. So they're not building any characters. No. They're not developing anything with these people. And I think what's most insulting to me is if you told me, well, hey, it's an unscripted show. These wrestlers are just given bullet points. They go out and cut promos. And it's really difficult to kind of, you know, create that that kind of depth of character. Well, I'll tell you two things that are bullshit about that. Number one, AEW does it occasionally, not with every character, but with someone like Hangman Page. They fully developed his character and did a really good job doing so. And two, WWE is not unscripted. It's completely scripted. You know, for the most part, people do have freedom. So if you have a character like Big E, who is, he gets a lot of freedom, but he everything he's involved in is pretty scripted then you have the time and ability because people are largely reading lines to develop his character and to create a surge of excitement and popularity to have that crowning achievement moment to WWE's credit, like it did Becky Lynch, like it did Kofi Kingston a couple of years ago. But they just don't seem to want to be in that storytelling business anymore. They want to be, we're going to put on a live event. It's going to have our top names in the company in it, and you're going to pay for it, and you're going to watch it. and that is a problem because you cannot captivate an audience and keep people watching your shows and buying your pay-per-views if you do that. And by the way, when you're simultaneously doing that by being a heel promotion and cutting down your roster and mass releasing talent that people are buying into, you're you're destined for failure. Like everything I saw from WWE this week told me things are not getting better. They're getting worse. It, it felt like there was no plan for, for, for any for any of this and it was just it's it's a variety show and week to week there's very little change there's maybe one or two things that happens in a raw or smackdown that will impact the next week it, it's usually just we're just getting oftentimes a rematch or not and it happens and it ends and nothing really changed nothing you're, there's nothing you're looking forward to the next week or something like that. And look, WWE's making hand over fist in, in terms of money. They're fine. It's just not good storytelling and not good television. Yeah, it's just certainly not good television. And worse than that, it's not consistent television. I don't know week in or week out, Raw, SmackDown, when I tune in, if I'm going to enjoy what I see. Whereas other shows, you may, you know, an episode may not be as good or an individual episode may be so incredibly great I'll go back to the succession finale there, uh, season finale, where you say, oh my God, what a great episode that was. But every other episode, you know that you're going to get a quality product. And with WWE, I just don't know that show to show. And I got to say, because I want to be fair, with AEW, it, it maybe it's a little bit more consistent, but it's not consistent at an extremely high level. No. Where, where I'm going in every week and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot wait to watch Dynamite. The, the I cannot wait to watch AEW, that like mentality, I haven't had that since the CM Punk and Daniel Bryan thing first started. Every show since, it's been like, oh, okay, AEW's on tonight. 
And yeah, some shows are good and some shows are less good. But th- there's nothing right now that makes wrestling on for either brand and much more for WWE than, than AEW. Um, nothing really makes it feel must watch. Even winter is coming on Wednesday. Hangman Page, Daniel Bryan, like, or Bryan Danielson, that's going to be a exciting match, really good match. But this is not a must watch show. If I have something to do Wednesday, which I do, uh, it's early signing period for college football. I have to work on Wednesday. Then, okay, I'll, I'll watch it Thursday. You know, like, like I'm not rushing home to put it on at 11 yeah. o'clock or 12 o'clock. No, and, and I think the, the ratings over the last couple of months of wrestling back that up, too. I mean, yeah, they've all gone true. down a little bit. Um, there, there's not something you can't wait to watch. I'll say this real quick as we kind of wrap this opening up. Yeah. Um, WWE did have something like this, they, and, and we praised it week after week, and that was the Roman Reigns storyline mm-hmm. during the Thunderdome because they were they couldn't just play to a crowd and do a thing and try to get a cheer and move on. They had to tell a compelling story with Roman. And did they do too much of it? Maybe it was, you know, sometimes it was half the show. Sure. But week to week, there was there was character development going on with the Usos, with Paul Heyman, with Roman. That was with, really, with, his, with, his, with Kevin Owens, with yes, people who, was, who were challenging him as well. Yes, That was really good television. And I was really hoping that that was one of the lessons they would take out of the pandemic. Uh, and it hasn't been. They've just gone back to variety show circus type of thing where it doesn't really matter week to week. It's too bad. You're right. Uh, now, you know, to be fair, they couldn't really do what they did with Roman now because you need things to happen in front of a crowd. And a lot of that happened backstage, quote unquote, yeah. behind the scenes. So I understand that you know that. I'm just I'm just kind of clarifying for for the audience. So you can't do exactly that, but you can still do things. You can still have interactions and make things feel real. And and Liv Morgan is a decent example. I don't think they're doing an amazing job with her right now, but they are developing her and selling her to the audience bit by bit to kind of say, you know, this is someone you should get behind. This is why they're getting screwed. They've aired multiple video packages showing her background and her angst in not coming through in key situations. They are doing what I'm talking about with her, but they're not doing it seemingly with anyone else. Like your two mid-card champions don't have challengers. Your world champions, their challengers are just, we want the title. That's their entire motivation. There, there's there's nothing extra there. And it's shallow. That's what I'm trying to say, basically. Mm-hmm. WWE right now feels exceptionally shallow where if I watch the show, there might be a match that pops me. There might be an individual segment that pops me. And that's great. But those are things I theoretically could catch in a YouTube recap show or by watching their social media feed and then, you know, DVRing the shows and fast forwarding to those individual moments that people really liked and being just as entertained as I was sitting down and watching a three hour show. And that should never, ever be the case. There are segments, there are bits that I would not watch if I didn't have to do this, if I wasn't doing this podcast. (laughs) Oh, Let's yeah, just say for that. sure. Let's just say that. Yeah. And across all shows, I, I yes. would say like there are times when I, you know, I'm just going to be candid when I DVR WWE and AEW and NXT, all of it. Um, and I can't watch it live or semi live or like many times I'll watch the show. You guys will see it. Notice it on Twitter. Probably I start like 30 to 45 minutes in that way I can skip the commercials and go faster. Um, but if I fully DVR a show, I am not watching it start to finish. Like I will fast forward through especially in WWE, like, you know, for a long match, an advertised match, there's always going to be a commercial break. 
Yep. And very rarely does anything happen before that commercial break of value. And it almost always ends with a tope. Like someone's diving yes. out of the ring or someone gets thrown into the announce table. And then we'll be right back. You know, we'll be right back for the second yeah. half of this match. So I'll fast forward the first half of the match. And then whatever happens in the second half is what I'll talk about. No, that's a good point. And I actually wrote this down in my notes. And I know we're going long in this intro. But it's another example of WWE has a lot of things on their show that is just not the wrestling. Every match, it feels like, has a commercial break. We get commercials in the show for WWE events, for pay-per-views. You get a long entrance. You get a commercial break. You get another long, you get a video package when you come back, then another long entrance. And then the match finally starts, like, 10 minutes after the first entrance. It's crazy. I, I noticed this this last episode of SmackDown and Raw, the way they're pacing the show, giving you the full entrances and giving you less wrestling and in other you know, bells and whistles is very strange. Yeah. I mean, look, even AEW has gone away from starting the show with people in the ring and wrestling like, but, but while they do promote a lot of stuff and AEW does promote heavily, they don't like give you 15 of those in one show. Like on any WWE episode, you're going to get WWE shop, WrestleMania ticket packages, upcoming events near you, Peacock. Like it's just a, a total bombardment. And if there's a video game, oh my God, you're going to see that commercial 18 times. Granted, those are paid ads, usually part of commercial breaks, but you get the point I'm making. So yeah, you're right. Um, in five hours of WWE TV, the amount of like in-ring wrestling is is astonishingly low. But even I, the amount- I would, I would get, It could be wrestling or it could be pro. Or content, like I'm right. Counting, it's right. just actual things that are happening. There's just well, a lot on the air that's nothing happening. I think even worse than the advertising and all that, it's the video packages- completely recapping what happened the fo- the previous week, almost as if they they look at their ratings and they have to know it's the same people watching every week. Right. I don't need a 10-minute video package just on last week's show. If you have a title match and you want to give me a package recapping the feud, I'm in for that. I love those. Those are great. Yep. I yep. do not need like, here's eight minutes of the 14-minute segment that happened last week on Raw. Yep. It's just so ridiculously lazy. And then you wonder why we complain when women get 45 seconds in a match like they did. And we're going to get into that. And we are going to get into that. Okay. With that, let's move into the show. Let's talk about everything that went down in the world of WWE this week. And let's start that off, as always, by sliding into the main event. All right. So let's start with SmackDown. Sami Zayn opened that show. He was in a wheelchair. He had a cast on his leg, a neck brace, two nurses with him. He said Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, two people who hate each other, uh, conspired to screw him. He promised to sue Adam Pearce, Sonya Deville, the referee, and WWE. Paul Heyman made some Jewish jokes, but Sammy kept stopping him and said Reigns wasn't there, so no one could save Heyman. We'll talk about Reigns not being there later. Uh, that brought out Lesnar in overalls. He grabbed a chair to level with Zayn. And Zane said his injuries are all Lesnar's fault. And he actually told him to shut his mouth, which I was like, oh, my God, he's dead. Uh, Lesnar said he didn't uh, do anything wrong. He actually did Zane a favor by making his loss to Reigns invalid, which I thought was a unique angle, except they didn't say, well, OK, Sammy, you're going to get another title match. He invited Zane to go hunting with him in Saskatchewan. Zane said he's vegan. Lesnar tried to roll him out of the ring so they could go have fun together when Heyman said he couldn't believe what he was seeing with Lesnar. And then Heyman like built up Lesnar's confidence in classic fashion by doing the promo and all that stuff. So Lesnar like got rejuvenated, attacked the nurses, kicked the wheelchair and hit Sammy with an F5. Uh, Lesnar called Heyman his advocate later backstage. Heyman looked upset when he asked how Reigns might respond to what happened throughout SmackDown. 
Lesnar confronted Adam Pierce, thanked him for his suspension and fine, and he said, the time off let him kill and eat a huge moose he named Pierce. So the idea here is that Heyman like unwittingly boosted Lesnar back into a beast when he'd maybe not been dominant anymore. I don't know how necessary it was to do that, but I did find it entertaining as hell over 25 minutes. This is an example of really entertaining TV, but no real character development. Like nothing actually at the end of the day was accomplished. I guess they're just going to go back to the storyline that they had from Crown Jewel with Paul Heyman being in between Reigns and Lesnar. I really hoped that would develop into something different, but it seems like we're really just going right back to that after a couple months off. Uh, the Sammy Brock dynamic, that continues to be great and amazing, but they're not going to explore it for real like they should. Like them tag teaming would be incredible, but WWE yeah. will never do that. So this was entertaining. Like I said, it just wasn't really anything at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I this was really fun. I, I, I thought, honestly, this might be the best mic work of both Sammy and Brock that we've ever seen. Brock looks like Brock sounds like a natural out there, both in the ring and in the backstage bit. He is he is fully understanding what he's doing, and, and it's all it's all coming across really well. He's funny, um, you know. I, Sa- Sammy talking over Paul Heyman, telling Brock to, to shut up. Um, I had the same reaction, like, oh, there's like a there's like a little bit of an edge here to Sammy that he's like legitimately pissed off. And you know, I, I think we did get something with you know. Paul kind of Heyman turning the switch and getting Brock to be kind of Brock again. Um, but you're right in that. Yeah, we're not going to get, you know, this could be so much more. We could get, we could do a Brock Sammy team up. Like, you know, that would have happened, you know, 20 years ago in, in, in wrestling. I mean, you talk about Hawkeye, like we've got in the Hawkeye show, we've got Hawkeye teaming up with some kid, Kate Bishop. And that's like the thing. And like you, you put these two people together take it to the natural end point. Don't just do it for the sake of a couple segments. So it was really entertaining, really liked everybody involved. Uh, they told a story throughout the segment and it was good. I'm just like you knowing that it's going to have an eventual end and not go anywhere farther. And that's disappointing. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, it's strange, exceptionally strange to me, that Reigns missed the show when it was at Staples Center. I think it's being called the, what is it, Crypto.com it, Arena? It, it's still Staples Center for now. But okay, yeah. so it was at Staples Center in Los Angeles. It was a really important SmackDown for WWE in front of Fox executives, a ton of ad people. Like, there were huge industry names at this show. And my thought when they announced Brock would return here and all that type of stuff was that WWE was going to put its best foot forward. It was going to put on an absolutely incredible SmackDown because we know when it wants to, it can do that. Anytime mm-hmm. WWE wants to pull the trigger and put on a really exciting SmackDown, it can pull it off. But for Reigns, their number one star, not to be there, period. And for Sasha Banks, arguably their number two star, to only have a 15-second backstage interaction and then work a dark match main event. I think it was against Becky Lynch. I'm sitting there and I'm like, what a horrible show for Staples Center. You can say it was an average SmackDown 
or below average for anywhere else. But for Staples Center, knowing the importance of that show, how many tickets they sold, I just couldn't believe it. Now, look, maybe something personal happened with Reigns, with his family, with his health. Who the hell knows? He's coming back this week. So if it was a one-week thing, sometimes you can't help things. Life happens, right? But if it wasn't that, I, it just, I can't explain it. I cannot explain how this was the SmackDown they put on in front of that audience. Yeah, I was very surprised at that as well. I, I thought maybe Roman would come out for a dark match, but for an, an L.A. show to not have him was well, it was surprising. Again, maybe there was something personal we don't know. Maybe that's why Brock showed up again. I I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this whole SmackDown in general didn't feel like a big deal at all. And and frankly, SmackDown, since the draft, as we suspected, mostly sucks. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's weird because it was such a good show. I mean, it's not weird. We know why, because they took away all the talent. But but it, for a long time, it was the best show in wrestling. And now it's just a shorter version of a bad raw. Yeah, now it's like third or something like that. It, it's, it's insane. In fact, let's talk about the other end of SmackDown. We started with the opening. Let's get to the main event. So we had the Usos versus New Day versus RK Bro, which is, by the way, a raw tag team, the raw tag team champions. So Kingwoods was honored with a new crown by Kofi Kingston. It was kind of ugly, but I saw a lot of people criticizing it. I think those who criticized it missed the fact that it was fashioned off of the logo that he's using on his gear. So it's his specific crown. I also, even though you know, and I talked about it on the show, I didn't mind that they got rid of the crown so quickly. At the same time, he, he's she just won King of the Ring a couple months ago. So it's okay to let this play out with the yeah. extravagancies of it for six months. You yes. know, it's, it's when it goes longer than that, that it gets crazy. Right now, it's completely fine. There's no problem. Uh, Riddle introduced Randy Orton to the guys from Jackass. Orton walked away. I found it apropos that, like, all these jackass guys who used to be cool and modern and hip and popular all had gray hair and were fat. And like it's on WWE, which you could say is catering to the same audience that I mean, us that and older than us that watched jackass back when it was actually popular. I, I found the the parallel of that pretty funny. Um, the Usos also cut a meaningless promo. This match happened for reasons. RK Bro yeah. had no business on SmackDown. I'm going to let you get in. I, yeah. I took 18 minutes. It took 18 minutes from the Usos making their entrance until the bell rang. This is what you mentioned earlier. This is what I'm talking about. And they also yeah. did the match in the awful style with only two legal men at once uh, versus three when it's a triple threat tag team match. Chris, I just, I couldn't find before the bell, before the bell. I could not find any reason to care about this. No, 18 minutes in a two hour show. <laughs> This is what I'm, it's insane to, to, to start the if, if someone is starting to make their entrance, you're like, all right, I'm sitting down. Match is coming up. I'm ready to go. You go 18 minutes before you ring the bell. That is insane. It's like two commercials, a backstage segment and a video package. I just. Yeah. And, it was and crazy. I think and I think and I think all three entrances, which, again, you're just filling time. And maybe it's because they cut so many people that they feel like they need to stretch this all. But good Lord. So let them um, wrestle for five extra minutes. Or, yeah, don't do the commercial break during the match. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm okay. Look, there's going to be commercials on TV shows, right? And the amount of commercials and the length of them in WWE and AEW anywhere, it's predetermined. Like, so I, I don't mind commercials. Yeah. What I mind is when you shove them in, like, there's natural breaks for commercials and it's in between 
backstage segments. You do something, you go to commercial, you come back, you have a backstage segment or a match, you move on with your show. But to do yeah. entrance, commercial, video package, promo, uh, something else, commercial, then come back, two entrances, match, starts three minutes in, commercial, then the rest right. of the match, it's just like absolutely yeah. insane. And, and, and the other thing was, again, why is this happening? I have no idea. We just did Survivor Series. We just had Champions versus Champions. So now you're going to say, who is the best tag team? I don't know. The teams that are the, the team that won. The, <laughs> yeah. teams that, the, the teams that are the champions are the best tag teams. And the team that won that match is the best tag team. Why does New Day get in this match? And there was no real explanation. Just, oh, they're just, they let him come over. Like, you could have. Uh, you could have built to this for two, three weeks. Like, just have them interact backstage a couple weeks, and then they set a match. Like, no, you could have was... done. You could have done nothing here, and you could have spent two weeks or three weeks building a tag team title storyline. Yeah, so that the Usos I'm, I'm defended saying, the title in the right. main event of your Los Angeles show. It's not. That I'm just hard. saying. To, I'm just saying. To, if you're going to do this type of match, like build to it. It It just. It again. It felt like a house show match. They're just throwing together a, a multi tag team match with no actual stakes. And here you go. And, and yeah, so and I, I no was, explanation. I, Sorry. Yeah. No explanation for why a raw tag team was on SmackDown. They just, I, they were there. Yeah. I was excited. Just, I was like, all right, this will be a fun match, but I know when it's over, it's going to go in one, in one out the other, and it's not going to mean anything, and I'm not going to care. And that's right. my so, thoughts going in. So before the bell, just mind numbing. Okay. As for the match, the crowd, you know, give them credit. The crowd was on its feet for most of the match. There was a huge pop for Orton's hot tag. Uh, the finish was chaotic with everyone kind of fighting. There were tags, but it was still chaos because of the only two legal men uh, stipulation. Not stipulation, rule, I guess. I, I hate that. I like when three people are there in a triple threat yeah. match. New Day hit up, up, down, down on Jey Uso, and they got the win. At least a SmackDown team won on SmackDown. It was a fine match, 3.5 stars and a B, largely because of the crowd reaction. I just couldn't get over how this booking did not make a shred of sense and we didn't get any reason for RKO being on the show. And basically everything between the opener with Lesnar and Zayn and the main event, which both were good on their own, separately in a vacuum, they were both good. Everything in between felt like an absolute waste of time. I cannot imagine being an executive for Fox or any of these other companies sitting there and being happy about the show that I was seeing live and trying to be sold. This SmackDown roster is so void of depth that they had to bring in top stars from Raw, I presume just because Reigns wasn't there. It was such a strange show. It was such a bad show. Yeah, it, 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 I just was like, wow. I was just I was watching and I'm like, wow, SmackDown sucks. And it's weird because first, again, it used to be good for so long. And I'm just like, man, this is... This is what it turned into. And yeah, I was like, Fox probably can't be too happy about it. And you're already having to bring some raw wrestlers over just to do something. There's no depth. There's no star power. They had to bring in Brock to, to do that. You got Drew McIntyre doing whatever the heck he's doing. It's just, it's a very strange kind of meaningless show. Indeed. Uh, so let's go over to Raw where there is an extended main event storyline that took Basically, the entire show. I'll break it down in parts. Let me get to the opening first, and then we'll talk about the matches. So Bobby Lashley opens Raw with MVP, saying the attack last week was due to disrespect because Lashley acts and doesn't whine and complain like Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. 
MVP said Lashley deserves a shot. KO came out and called bullshit because he did nothing to disrespect Lashley. And then he went on a rant that started getting cheers. So WWE obviously piped in booze. Seth Rollins came out, he agreed. KO suggested an attack. Rollins agreed. Then they argued over who should actually attack. Uh, Seth, uh, sorry, Big E came out and reminded Lashley he already beat him twice. Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville came out and said, you know what, Lashley, you can join the day one title match that just has all of Raw in it, apparently, if he beats every other member of the match. So I equally hated and liked this. Lashley does not need to be in this, okay? But the booking concept is solid, theoretically, because you want to create a mountain for this guy to overcome to get a title match basically out of nowhere when he doesn't deserve it. But the other problem is, in order for him to do that, and if WWE is setting up the obstacle course, you generally know the person is going to complete it. Very rare is it the person doesn't complete it. He would have to beat all three guys. So then he's beating the WWE champion and the top two challengers that have been built and developed for weeks, all in a single night. That makes each of those people look like shit. What I like the most out of this entire opening was KO's promo and the way he interacted with Rollins. It was so natural and unscripted. It's exactly how two guys with their personalities and characters would have reacted in the situation if it was real. And I loved that. It felt like it was natural and unscripted. But other than that, the setup to this, you're just looking at it and you're like, unless WWE swerves us and has Lashley lose one of those matches and he goes on a rampage and he winds up feuding with someone else over the next couple of weeks, if he doesn't do that, then you, I already had the dread of what the finish to the show was going to be. I loved KO and Seth's interactions all night. They were so funny together. And like you said, it was just, I think a lot of it was just kind of real time reactions and bouncing things off of each other. And this is why Kevin Owens is maybe the best promo in the company because he just always sounds like a real person. Even coming out and saying, Bobby Lashley, what are you talking about? We're not talking about you. He's all, it, it feels like Kevin Owens is only is the only guy who like watches the show, apparently. And, and just like, he gets it. And back in the day, when Kevin Owens made his debut and he was the NXT champ and Seth Rollins was the uh, WWE champ, they had an inter- a couple interactions um, a bit. And at the time, I was like, I want these guys to become the two-man power trip again. I would love to see Seth and Kevin Owens become a tag team. Just, just They'd be great do stuff like together. Yep. They would be great. And th- this this showed why. And uh, you know, we don't know what's up with Kevin Owens' contract, how long he's going to be around. I don't know. But I, you know, I, I think they would be great and whatever they do. So they were a lot of fun. The concept of the Bobby Lashley thing, I, I, I got it. Okay, it told you a story throughout the show. We'll get into what they did, and actually what they did made sense. But Bobby Lashley's a heel. We're, we're, we're setting up all these obstacles for the heel to overcome against other heels, and I think we kind of got that crowd reaction in that are we supposed to want Bobby Lashley to win or not? Because we all like Big E. He's the good guy. And that just kind of, I think, hung over everything as well. That's true. There's one baby face in this entire thing. Everyone else is a heel. And whereas Owens could possibly be a tweener, WWE is literally piping in booze to ensure that you know right. he's not, that he's a heel. So there were three matches that followed. Spoiler alert. 
And I'm going to kind of run through them. Chris, if there's anything that you want to say about any of the individual matches, literally just interrupt me, okay? Because I just want to get through them. Uh, Lashley versus Owens was first. Gable Stevenson was announced ringside before the match with his gold medal because they were in Minnesota. Lashley and MVP dapped him up before the bell. I thought that was pretty cool. KO hit a tornado DDT. Lashley came back with a dominator, an almighty spinebuster. Then KO tapped before Lashley could actually lock in the hurt lock. Seemingly, he did that on purpose to preserve himself for day one, knowing that he had already lost the match. The next match was Lashley versus Rollins. KO confirmed that's what he did. He told Rollins it was smart and asked Rollins, hey, let me be ringside and let's eliminate Lashley from this thing together. Rollins ran Lashley into the post, hit the forearm to the back of the head. Lashley started beating on Rollins when KO ran down, kicked Rollins' ass, and got the DQ. Meaning Rollins would win because KO beat him up in the middle of the match. They celebrated wildly until Pearson DeVille restarted the match as no DQ. Lashley immediately, no, I, 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 what was yeah. that? Lashley immediately yeah. speared Rollins and got the win. So I'll, I'll pause here, but let me say here, if that was the finish to this whole thing, I would have loved it. Like I would have said, you know yeah. what? That's really smart. They got Lashley out. <laughs> now Lashley has a reason to maybe fight KO and take his spot in the match next week. Maybe there's something you can do and you pull Owens from it. He gets screwed. Now he has a reason, KO, to challenge for the title at the Royal Rumble. Instead, they just had to say, you know what? Nah, we'll restart the match. Go ahead. Well, I I, I liked it because it made sense. And this is what we say all the time. You know, we have these wrestling rules that could so easily be, you know, w- w- with loopholes if, pe- if people would just do them. And so Kevin Owens comes out. And does it like this scenario of if you're when you're if you win, you're in happens all the time. And and we don't have someone just be smart to do that. And but that's why I think you did need them to come in and immediately restart the match, because otherwise you would say, why don't wrestlers do this all the time? You know, you, you have to have these instances where they take advantage of the loophole, but the authority figures are there to keep things in place. So I got that. It was a little Strange to me that Sonya was the first one to come out and say, hey, no, 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 we're not doing this for restarting the match, considering she is a heel authority figure based on the Naomi thing. They both are. Uh, Pierce less so. No, he's a heel now. The guy, the guy wore a Packers tie in, in Minnesota. He's definitely that, a heel. That's fair. That's fair. But, yeah. but either way, it, I, I, I like restarting the match and the fact that it Lashley won so quickly because when they said no DQ, my first thought is, well, Kevin Owens could just run in and they'll right. do a two-on-one and win. Right. But they did it so quickly that Kevin Owens couldn't do that. And he Bobby Lashley pins and wins, and the camera cuts to Kevin Owens, and he puts his head down in frustration. Awesome shot. Awesome sell by Kevin Owens. So this this worked for me. It, it, it com- in, in a rare wrestling situation, everything made sense, and everybody made the smart decision, and it worked out. And you know, what happens next happens next. But up to that point, I was like, oh, all right. That was actually pretty creative. I liked it. Now, there were also some funny moments during these matches where Big E had his back to the screen. I love when he does that. It's playing off of people standing to the side, watching the screen backstage, where he's taking really fast notes on Lashley uh, with his with a pen and paper, and he's like ripping the pages off. He is so damn good and funny. And then before the final match, KO and Rollins came up to cheer him on, saying they had a great plan. Biggie would not listen to them. He said, stay away. I want to beat Lashley clean one-on-one. Let me go do this. So we had Lashley versus Biggie in a no disqualification match, which 
Sonya announced basically the last two matches would be no DQ because of the interference and blah, blah, blah. This was a really even match. Biggie threw Lashley into a chair propped in the corner. He tried to spear him through a table outside, but Lashley stopped him. He did the almighty spine buster through a table inside for a near fall. He body slammed him into the steel steps. Lashley hit a spear, but he was slow to cover. And then at that moment, KO and Rollins ran down, attacked Lashley. So E, because he's a baby face, he wants to win clean. He attacks them and then they beat him down back. At the end, E put Owens through a table with a Uranagi outside. Lashley speared Rollins through a table inside and he sold it. He, he sold it by being wobbly because he went through a table as well. When you do a spear, you put the guy through the table and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this is really smart. They're giving Lashley an out. So Biggie can just pick him up, hit the big ending win. Lashley loses, doesn't get the title match. Biggie looks strong and they naturally set up Biggie versus Lashley at Royal Rumble. And that's a really good match for Royal Rumble. I'm in my head. I'm like, this is really, really exciting that they're booking it this way. I'm going to love this. Instead, MVP jumps in the ring, takes out Biggie's knee. Lashley hits the spear and pins the WWE champion to end the show. So I want to separate the booking from the TV show when we break this down in a vacuum. I was entertained by the storyline, the shenanigans of KO and Rollins, and yes, the main event match, because it was indeed... Big meaty men slapping me. <laughs> There's a lot of beef out here. There's a lot of beef out there, and that's what I want to see. But when you contextualize all of this as Lashley beating the champion, the champion also being pinned again, and beating the top two challengers to the title to earn his spot, it diminishes all three guys. Yes, excuses were given for each of them. KO saved himself. Rollins was distracted. E was taken out by MVP. But none of that fixes the booking because this is a situation WWE forced itself into. If they said, if it was a fan contest and they said, hey, Silver King, book an angle for Raw. And I said, here's the angle. Bobby, I want Bobby Lashley in the title match or or I want him to have a chance at it. You have to have three different matches and Bobby Lashley needs to win all of them and get himself in the title match. And the WWE writer said, oh man, that's tough. Let's figure out how to book this. If that was the scenario, then I'd give them two thumbs up. They did a great job. The problem is, I'm not, this This is not a suggestion coming in that's forced on them from outside. It's something WWE forced itself into and then created a way to get out of it while thinking that they're keeping everyone looking strong. Instead, what we now have is Rollins, who earned a title match, sharing his spot with two other guys, really for no good reason. Rollins, a heel, is getting screwed. Big E, who just really won the title and hasn't really defended it that much, he's getting screwed. And he got pinned again. So there's really no good reason at all to insert Lashley into this match in the first place. So despite the entertainment value I received being high, I thought all of this was pretty smartly executed. It was diminished by the reality of the booking. It's just really difficult to buy into this whole thing as a good idea. Basically what I'm saying, it was a really smart way to book a really shitty angle. Yeah, I, I mean, when MVP came in and hit Biggie, I was like, oh, man, I totally forgot about MVP. And all like, you know, there had been so much chaos going on. 
I was actually, you know, they got me with the surprise at the end. It, it, it made sense. They accomplished what they wanted to accomplish with, with Bobby Lashley. I agree that everybody kind of looks worse coming out of all this. You know, Bobby Lashley didn't even really get any clean wins that he wanted. He kind of had to win via shenanigans every time, which again, he's the heel. So I, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about that. But, you know, yeah, everybody feels, you know, lesser coming out of this, but they have a few weeks to build it up now. So we'll see where they go. I didn't hate this. I, I, I think the path to get here has been odd. It's It has felt like they've changed what they wanted to do with this match several times. I think they just wanted to do Biggie versus Seth, but then decided to throw more into it. Um, so I, I, I actually generally liked what they did Monday, but I'm going to need more in the following weeks to kind of, I think, set the table for the match better. Do you agree now with what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that it really feels to me like they are doing this to create a reason for Big E to lose the title at day one? I'm, I'm, I, you know, I wasn't sure at the beginning. I can totally see it though now. I, I, I think you can certainly see him lose to any of these if they want to have him win it at WrestleMania. Um, I think it's possible. I mean, I don't even know if they're going to have him win it again at WrestleMania. Why pull the trigger and then take it away and then have him win it back. Maybe they do, I guess. There's only one other that I can think of, huge babyface on the show, Finn Balor, where it would make sense to put someone over at WrestleMania. Um, but man, like Big E's title reign right now, it has not been good. It's not bad, but if if it ends at day one, it's going to be remembered as terrible. If it no, doesn't, has, if it goes he, on from there, then it has a shot. He hasn't had any big moments. He lost the Roman Reigns match and... I don't know. He's just kind of been. Yeah, he won the title. Beat not, Lashley. It's not on him. It's not he, on him. It's he won the title. Himself. I think he's defended it against Lashley and Austin Theory. I don't think he's defended it against anyone else. He lost to Reigns in the one big match he's had. There's not a pay per view in December, so he's done nothing with it. Like, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. Uh, we will talk on a later show, maybe the um, ultimate preview for day one. We'll talk about Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn being firmly in the main event picture on both shows with their contracts expiring. That's a longer and larger conversation we need to have. We cannot have it today. Instead, we're going to slide into the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, Chris, let's try to do this as quick as we can. Lightning style. There's a lot left. In the world of WWE, there was a great video package on Liv Morgan's loss to Becky Lynch last week. I know I said I didn't want those, but this one was good. Becky said she's uh, proved that she's always right, made fun of fans for wanting her back, but not liking how she came back and evolved. Then she showed the angry young fan, the Liv fan uh, from last week and laughed. Liv came out and said the only person who actually doubts her is Becky. No one else does. She showed how Lynch had to cheat to win last week. Morgan said she wasn't embarrassed. Their story wasn't over until she won the title and made it mean something again. Becky said that Liv, uh, you know, got cheated in the match because she made it easy to be cheated on. And Liv should have been ready for it, but she's not ready, does not have the killer instinct that Liv led Liv to attack. Becky threw into the steel steps, put her arm down in between the steel steps and the post, stomped on it a bunch. She actually slipped once and fell on her ass. That was pretty funny. Lynch then accepted the match 
and said there's no other woman challenger on the show for her. So she just went home. I actually thought it was a really strong segment. There were some kids on the aisle who kept like cheering for Liv and interrupting her. And I simultaneously was like, Liv, you got to be better than that. You got to stay in your promo space. But it was also sweet that she kept acknowledging them and being touched by them. So mm-hmm. I wasn't, I kept going back and forth about it. I thought it was cute ultimately. Liv got herself emotional during her promo again. I thought they were both on point. It was really good stuff from top to bottom, a solid way to naturally continue a feud, which we knew was coming. And I didn't even mind that Becky got over on Liv because the truth is Liv has been the one coming out looking strong in all of their other interactions and attacks. So I was totally fine with this. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it it made sense. It, you know, it, it puts Liv in a spot where she's got to come back from an injury. You know, she's got a couple weeks to, to, to handle that. Uh, the promos were good. The, the kids were into it, like you said. Um, so I, I just generally, I, you know, I, I loved this segment last week. I loved the, 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 the match and the setup for it. Mm-hmm. I know you, you, I know you seem to be a little bit less so on it, but um, no, this was all really solid, you know, pretty straightforward stuff. Def, definitely giving this a good. Yeah, I, I didn't dislike it last week. It just fell below my expectation. That's all. Sure. Uh, on SmackDown, we had Charlotte Flair against Tony Storm. In the return of a champion contenders match, uh, Storm got put over by Sasha Banks backstage in the 15 seconds we saw her on the show. There was a really bad botch to open where Flair completely missed a double moonsault, but Storm still kicked out at 2.5. Really bad. Flair snapped Storm's neck over the rope and drove her into the ring post. Flair then stomped Storm's head into the ring apron repeatedly for a DQ and hit a big boot in less than four minutes. So WWE promoted three women's matches for SmackDown. This is the only one that actually happened, and it was barely a match. I get the booking of Flair avoiding Storm at all costs, but they couldn't even deliver nine to 10 minutes of real wrestling here before going to the DQ. The other two matches that were advertised, like I said, never happened, and we're going to get to that in a second, but this was straight up bad. The only thing I will say is this is probably the first time since the introduction of the championship contenders matches where having that label on a match actually made sense because Flair kept denying Tony title opportunities. So it really did make sense to call it this, and it slightly made sense to have the match, but everything about it was terrible. Yes, and then when you end with the, you know, you're disqualified for wrestling too much is the absolute worst disqualification that they have. It's only supposed to be there for when somebody, like, snaps and... We're just we're not there with Charlotte. So that was disappointing. Disappointing not to get more wrestling. The 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 backstage segment beforehand where Sasha and Tony were talking was incredibly fake sounding. Yes. Like it didn't even sound like they were having a real conversation. Sasha's still talking like she's a heel. And I I keep forgetting that she's a face. I just I'm still in that mindset where she's a heel because she's a very good heel and she's talking you know, like she's a heel. So that was very, very strange segment beforehand. This was this was bad. And it's 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 a real shame because it really could have been good. They just don't think any of it was planned or executed. Well, it certainly was not. Now, the other two matches I was talking about were Naomi versus Sonya Deville and the debut match for Zia Lee. Those were promoted and advertised for the show. So Naomi and Sonya Deville made their entrances. Naomi cut a short, effective promo. Deville came out in like new BDSM type of gear. I thought it was strange. 
Uh, she announced Natalia as the ring announcer and Shayna Baszler as the timekeeper stacking the deck. Naomi attacked Baszler, kicked Natalia. Then they went shield style to triple team Naomi when Xia debuted with, I saw people hating on it. I thought some really sick augmented reality Street Fighter Mortal Kombat style graphics. They cleared house with Zaya kicking DeVille, but Sonya getting saved before Naomi's split-legged moonsault. The faces then bowed to each other in respect. This wasn't great, but it wasn't bad by any means. Like the default, uh, Zaya Lee having a match against a jobber and squashing them would have been way less entertaining than this debut, which I thought fit her character really well as the protector. She literally came out and protected Naomi from getting ganged up on. Like she literally stopped her from being bullied. And it was obvious, we knew that we weren't gonna get this match. I said it last week. I'm sure the match will happen at day one. So was it disappointing for the crowd? Yes, but watching at home, I actually thought this was good and a very rare, very, very rare occasion where I'm okay with WWE promoting something and not delivering it because I liked what we got. Yeah, I, I liked it too. I, I'm, I'm giving it a good, you know, there have been several times we've been promised some sort of Naomi Sonya match that doesn't happen. That's been really annoying. Um, this, this was not that when, when Sonya comes out in her gear, I was like, Oh shit, this is like serious. Now this is, they're really going to do this. And then, you know, they have, you know, uh, Natalia and, and, and Shayna there and okay. It devolves into whatever. I guess we're not going to get it. But then for Zaylee to come back out and, and save her, it, 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 to me, it kind of advanced, it, it, it finally advanced the story a little bit. Now Naomi has someone who has her back for the next time this situation comes up. So it, it's been a rough few weeks for the storyline, but this was a step forward. And I like the lightning stuff that, you know, she was doing on her entrance. You know, some of it, some of that stuff they do is good. Some of it's not definitely putting this one in the good category. And then for the second overall, yeah, definitely uh, giving this a good. All right. Uh, Bianca Belair fought Dewdrop on Raw. There were dueling promos with Dewdrop saying she was jealous of the attention Belair gets. She also got new music, by the way, Dewdrop. Dewdrop yes. caught Belair trying a springboard handstand and bent her knees backwards over the rope, which I thought was pretty cool. Then she did a step through elbow drop and later a Mishinoku driver and Saito suplex for near falls. And shout out to Jimmy Smith for calling out the damn moves. Do that for every match. I don't know why they only did it here, but good stuff there. Uh, Belair stopped a Vader bomb and pulled Dewdrop off the middle rope for a huge power bomb. Then Belair hit a awesome 450 splash for the win in 11 minutes. Dewdrop ran Belair over on stage as she celebrated. Just like I said last week, this is all we want. Real women's wrestling, eight to 12 minutes, clean finishes. The crowd loved this. Like it actually got mm -hmm. excited for it. I loved it. I'm sure you loved it. I gave it 3.5 stars and a B. Obviously good. I wish we didn't get the post-match attack and it was just over and they finally ended the storyline. WWE cannot help itself with these rematches going on and on and on. We'll worry about that and grading the rematches when they happen. But for this, I thought it was honestly perfect and a definite good. This is what I'm saying when it makes everybody look better when you just have two people go out, give them some time and let them put on an awesome match. Like, Dewdrop looked better for it. I honestly was okay with the post-match attack as a way to just kind of save face a little bit for Dewdrop. However, if that's going to set up rematches, then I am less so. But but the general concept of the heel loses clean and they're annoyed and so they attack, 
and then walk off. I, I, I'm okay with that. Loved Dewdrop's song and entrance. She feels like a big deal now. Really like it. I yeah, the only like the, the only remaining thing that sucks about her is the name. Everything the else name. about her is yeah. really good all of a sudden. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, this match was awesome. Crowd got really into it because that's what great wrestling can do. And it makes you care about everybody involved more. Definitely a good. And we're probably going to get rematches. I, I don't know. But for this segment, um, definitely a good. We've had two matches between them so far. Grand total, 24 minutes. Both of them very good. One non-finish, one real finish. Like, if you tell me that's the package, that's all I need. Good. Mm -hmm. You're good. WWE, stop. Stop while you're ahead. I'm concerned it's not. We'll find out next week. Uh, Drew McIntyre on SmackDown approached Adam Pearce, angry about not being in the Battle Royal. Pearce said it wasn't his fault because Sonya Deville and a, quote, higher authority made the list. The higher authority is back? Like, like, what are we doing here? Uh, But McIntyre wasn't allowed to bring his sword to the ring tonight for his match against Sheamus. So McIntyre drove the sword through a wooden desk. Later in the show, Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss stole the desk. So clearly now we're going to have a storyline of a stolen sword with Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss probably unable to pull it out from the desk, like medieval bullshit or like Thor's hammer being unable to lift it. And there is a specific sword reference in a stone. I'm I'm forgetting what it is historically. I'll remember at some point. Oh, um, King Arthur. The there you go, King Arthur. Yeah. Um. So they're going to do that storyline now. Okay. Uh, McIntyre versus Sheamus was a match. After eating an Irish curse, McIntyre hit a future shock DDT. Sheamus countered a claymore with a pump knee for a near fall. McIntyre hit a Glasgow kiss and then rebounded from an Irish whip with a claymore for the win. So. You have McIntyre and Sheamus. And when you get McIntyre and Sheamus, you know what you're getting. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. But, but you're also expecting something else. Everybody knows I deliver banner after banner after banner after banner. So obviously, this should be a banger that I love, right? No. Sheamus beat Cesaro in four minutes last week. And McIntyre beat Sheamus in like six or seven minutes, including a commercial break this week. This is just cannibalizing the very few upper mid-card and main event talents they have on SmackDown. These guys had far better matches together on Raw that went like 14, 17, 20 minutes. This was pitiful by comparison. The work was fine. The booking is absolutely terrible. Maybe this is going to surprise you guys. This was bad for me. I, I, I'm i in that between bad and good spot where it's just kind of whatever. I, you know, Drew McIntyre comes over to SmackDown. He's one of the few clear big stars they have, and they've got him doing just nothing. I, I just, he's just kind of floating out there doing whatever. I, the higher power, the sword thing, I don't know. Like we said last week, apparently he's back into doing the sword stuff. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm giving it a bad because I don't really care what he's doing. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't hate the match or anything. It was just kind of, all right, whatever. That's kind of all I had. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, there, there wasn't much to say. That's the biggest no. problem. Over on Raw, Maurice uh, insulted the fans and introduced Miz for Miz TV. Miz threw his endorsement behind himself for WWE Hall of Fame 2022. <laughs> and they aired an entire Hall of Fame package for him, just like they would anyone else. That was awesome. No pun intended there. They fake cried and toasted champagne 
to sending Edge back into permanent retirement. Edge came out. He got the biggest pop of the night by far. He said Miz will get all of his props one day if he could just learn to shut his mouth. Edge said Miz's bravado. It's hiding his insecurity. Miz said he used to be scared of Edge. He's not anymore. Not this version of Edge. Edge said he'll teach him a lesson and will finally be there for Miz like he wants to be by showing him that he still has a ton to learn. Miz threw champagne in his face. Edge caught him with the DDT. Miz then pulled Maurice in front of him for a spear. And so Edge stopped, obviously. And when he stopped, Miz hit the skull crushing finale. Then Miz and Maurice got into a fight over what Miz did. And Maurice slapped Miz across the face and Miz chased after her. This to me, Chris, was easily number one with a bullet, the best thing on Raw. Okay. Edge, Miz, and Maurice were all perfect in this segment. The promos, the storyline, the argument, the the post fight at the end, all of it was a little repetitive in terms of what they said in the promo. Yeah, but anytime you do multiple promo segments in a feud, I don't care if you're CM Punk and MJF, they said the same shit as well. Um, We probably could have skipped one week for this feud. Maybe they skip next week. This does feel like it's something that's going to go multiple pay-per-views. It does feel like something that's going to involve Beth Phoenix sooner than later. But as far as Monday night goes, this was definitely good. Yeah, this was good. I, honestly, when when they did the Hall of Fame package for Miz, one of my first thought was, thoughts was, "Oh, they're it's kind of like you know MJF with the you know Plainview Long Island accomplishments video. You know, CM Punk called him a less famous Miz. And so now Miz kind of gets his own video of accomplishments, except for it's winning at WrestleMania and beating John Cena and like actual real major wrestling accomplishments. And it really highlighted you know how successful he has been." But yeah, it was, you know, this was certainly really good, you know, pretty by the books and and, and whatever. You know, I said before, this would be an awesome just kind of one off or, or two off. Doesn't need to be a really long feud. I'd love to see Edge just continue to do these kinds of things with new people. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, no, this is certainly good. Are you excited for this feud? Because I am like I, I even though I don't necessarily love Miz in the ring, I think this is a really smart like in the middle feud for Edge. Yeah, yeah. These are the kinds of feuds I want him to constantly have. I don't need him in a title picture. I just want him with new, fresh people bouncing, you know, know, having, if he has history with them, go into that. If not, you know, build the other person up. I I think both men are, are are look better, you know, throughout this feud. So I think that's certainly good. We had Riddle and Otis on Raw. Uh, Riddle and Orton had their backstage banter about broadcasting, podcasting, etc. Orton said if Riddle fully focused on Otis and won, maybe one day he could put the blazer back on. Otis caught Riddle off the ring apron, slammed him into the corner of the barricade. Riddle hit some big knees and a floating bro. Otis countered with an RKO attempt into the world's strongest slam, a pop-up version of it for the win. Orton then hit Chad Gable with an RKO, and then Otis took out Orton with a spinning back elbow. This to me was like totally unexpected. Riddle, he can lose any match and not be hurt. That's fine. It was mm-hmm. really cool that they gave Otis a big win in this spot and they gave Alpha Academy in totality some rub, which we've been asking for. I just want Chad Gable to actually win some things. The match was okay, but I thought it was a good piece of booking. With that tournament being delayed due to real life injury, it seems, I wonder if they're kind of going to run Alpha Academy as temporary tag team challengers, whether it's just the next couple of weeks or maybe even at the pay-per-view until they get that tournament back on track. But I like this segment. Yeah, loved it. Um, it was a new matchup, fresh. It wasn't a rematch of some kind. It was a it was a unique matchup we hadn't seen before. Two different styles. They had a fun little bit. Otis looked 
always look really good. And it all made sense. So this was this was really good. And this is the kind of thing where I'm not kind of looking at my phone or my computer while it's going on because I'm thinking, oh, this is this is new. This is different. I, I want to see how this goes. So definitely two thumbs up on, on, on that bit. Just again, some of these are like small things that are not they're not like big major things but they're just like little things i was like all right that was good well was it was good. nice was for once that a couple of the little things came through when a lot of the yeah. big things didn't this week it was kind of the opposite yeah. of what it normally is uh aj styles speaking of aj styles backstage said omas disrespected him and they had a really rough show last week but it's just growing pains and he'd really not want to give up on their relationship Styles said he'd never seen anyone like omas and took responsibility for what happened last week he said he really likes him he genuinely wants to see him succeed then Omas came up, put his arm around AJ. They made up. I thought it was simple and effective. It created some questions about the future, but it also reestablished them. And it gave us more insight into their relationship than we've yes. ever gotten throughout their entire run. So in, entire run. So I thought it was good. Yeah. Uh, again, another little good thing. And this is what I've been saying with these two is like, I, I think there's so much more they could do with them that they haven't yet. Maybe we get into it. Maybe we don't. Maybe the RK bro thing just kind of, force them to do some different things. And sometimes that makes WWE better. So um, it was interesting. It was good. So on SmackDown, we had Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs against Los Lotharios. Boogs press slammed Angel outside and swung Umberto. Nakamura then hit a standing knee for the win in one minute and 20 seconds. Seriously? What the hell was this? Okay. The Lotharios had been getting wins for like a month. And then they lose in less than 90 seconds in a simply awful match. Like there was nothing positive about it. If we're grading it, I'd give it negative one star. Nakamura literally did one move and it wasn't even his finisher. This was beyond ugly. I think it may have been. I don't know if it was the worst thing on WWE TV all year, but it was among the worst things on WWE TV all year. Yeah, just ugly. Don't know what the heck's going on with Boogs and Nakamura and any of that. Just another one of those like, oh, week to week things don't matter anymore. We're just changing, changing things on the fly. It sucked. And it's a real shame. On Raw, we had Rhea Ripley versus Queen Zelina. Nikki Ash was down, depressed backstage. Ripley said, hey, we're tag team partners. Uh, I saw fire in you, you know, when you were kind of going through your whole changing character phase. And you actually beat Charlotte Flair when even I haven't been able to do that yet. Zelina did the gimmick slipping into and out of her accent. I actually think that is very good and fun and different and entertaining. So I do like, in general, what Zelina is doing. Ripley went to hit Zelina with Riptide 20 seconds into the match. Nikki chased Carmella through the ring and got hurt. Rhea checked on her and then lost with a crucifix pin. And I am not joking with you. I'm not exaggerating. 45 seconds. Look, I get the angle. Nikki keeps screwing up and it's hurting both of them, fine. Why not do that at the end of a seven-minute match where Ripley gets to look dominant until the very end and she loses and you say, ah, oh, that sucks that she lost. 45 seconds is fucking absurd. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. It makes Ripley look like absolute shit. How do they keep doing this garbage Every single week, heaven forbid, we get two good women's matches on one show in back-to-back weeks. Not possible. 45 seconds. There were two women's matches on the show. One, 11 minutes. 
The other 45 seconds, that's it. We did not see the women again, except for one very quick segment. We'll talk later. This was ugly. It was absolutely pathetic. And by the way, I should mention Chris had to bounce. Keith agrees with me. This was ugly. I can't imagine him saying anything else. A couple more things before we get out of here. Damian Priest and Finn Balor fought the Dirty Dogs on Raw. Priest and Balor dominated. Balor was ready for the coup de grace when Austin Theory jumped on the ring apron. Dolph Ziggler caught Balor from behind with a zigzag and got the win in seven minutes. Theory took another selfie and ran away. This all made sense. It wasn't worth much. Priest still does not have a title challenger. Balor has now been on the wrong side of Theory twice. Both of them should be in better situations. I will say good only because it wasn't bad, and my hope is still that Balor beats Theory at the end of this and we kind of can move on from it. But it was really nothing to actually chew on in either direction. The story was really Theory running into Vince McMahon's office, proud of himself. Apollo Crews was in there. Vince excused Crews. He got angry at Theory. He said they're not friends. Theory has not impressed him yet. Then he took out a pencil and he said, the eraser, not the point, was the important part of the pencil. What does that mean? I have absolutely no idea. Again, like last week, it was pretty impossible to hear Vince, but they do have my curiosity and attention in terms of this storyline. So again, a conditional good here. I don't know that it's going to be good in the long run, but as for right now, I'm willing to give it an opportunity. But man, they got to start building shit with Priest and Nakamura, giving them challengers. They got to start using Finn Balor better. They got to start using on SmackDown, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus and Cesaro better. We didn't even see Ridge Holland when that was the entire storyline with Sheamus. The whole thing is just an absolute mess. Two things very quick before we get out of here. Dana Brooke and Reggie were walking together in a park. Reggie asked her to go get some hot chocolate together. Reggie took care of R-Truth and Akira Tozawa, who were hiding and trying to attack. Brooke escaped to Mina, who tried to attack her. Uh, They both jumped on a trampoline and over a pile of snow. Tamina then yelled at the guys to stay out of her way. The start of this was so badly scripted and acted that nothing else mattered. I like that it was thematic for Christmas and the holidays, but it was just bad, straight up. And then lastly, there was another Veer Mahan video package. He actually spoke this time, saying a lion sometimes hunts for food and sometimes hunts for fun. Hey, look at that progress the guy can speak. I'm glad they did it. Is it going to mean anything? Is it going to be good in the end? I have absolutely no idea. He's going to debut on Raw soon. When is soon? Another thing I cannot tell you. It feels like it's been like five years that this guy hasn't shown up on TV. So look, uh, WWE this week, not a banner week is the best thing I can say. We discussed in the opening the issues that the show has, the, the, the company has across both shows, SmackDown and Raw. Let's hope those get rectified. They do have a couple go-home weeks coming up. Uh, The SmackDown, I don't know if it's the one immediately before day one. I believe it is. I think it's going to be a taped like clip show. I don't think they're going to do any new content. So I believe that there's a really good chance, and I'm going to check my calendar and kind of like extend this conversation here while we're talking and see if I can do it in a look at a month view. Yeah, here we go. So I think, and I, I definitely could be wrong, but I believe there's... Two more SmackDowns and two more Raws before day one. That's it. And we have a large card that's kind of already been announced, which I guess is good. But at the same time, it feels like so much still needs to get developed. And 
they actually need to sell the show in a go-home manner. So WWE has a lot left that it needs to handle. Uh, we will be talking about it next week, of course, on the WWE show. In two weeks, we will have the WWE Day 1 Ultimate Preview. Uh, in between, we'll also have, of course, two AEW and NXT shows, and we will have our Getting Over Awards. Chris left, so I'll do it, aka the meaties that we will be um, putting out on Twitter, all the categories, all the awards. You guys can suggest some contenders. Uh, we will then put together the polls. You guys will be able to vote. And of course, Chris and I will vote as well. And we will crown the second annual meaties, the final week of 2021. So as of right now, that last week of the year, it's going to be a four show week. We're going to have the ultimate preview, the awards, the AEW NXT show, and then day one of uh, the incident analysis coming after that pay-per-view goes off the air on January 1st. So a bunch of shows left here for getting over. The 250th episode is coming this month as well. Uh, we'll see how that kind of works out and if I make that a special show. You know, a lot to be determined. Uh, but please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can vote in the awards so you can find out when episodes get released. And please do not forget with the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let people know how much you love this show and why they should listen. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. We will be back on Thursday to talk AEW and NXT. But at this moment, I got just three words left for you. Bye for now.